0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 32 of Rean Our Voice. My name is Robert Swatala. I'm one of the co-hosts of Rean Our Voice. And with me is my colleague, friend, co-host uh, and many other titles that I won't say here, <laughs> Jeff Mazone. How are you, Jeff? <laughs> Morning Robert. What's going on, bro? I figure I keep it clean for the, for the yeah. <laughs> kids out there listening, you know? Yeah. <laughs> How are you? Good, man. It feels like a while when we don't see each other for a couple of weeks. I know you've had a lot going on, too. It's been a little bit of whirlwind for you. Yeah, yep.
1: The move from New York to Virginia, starting residency, getting licensed, starting a new job, uh, pregnancy, you know, just, yeah, a lot yeah, of exciting just like, things, I'm life's just happening.
0: So I found it interesting, once you moved to Virginia is when they started getting their major, like, world record snow events Dude. and stuff like that. So <laughs> is so there a correlation there? Bro, I'm so glad you brought that up, because when
1: I got down here... Um, Everyone's talking about
0: snow. I'm like, what are you talking? You
1: guys don't have snow. Give me a break. And then they got like this record 14 <laughs> inches and it took people like 22 hours to drive from Northern Virginia to Fredericksburg to get home. And people were out of power for quite some time, which we're yeah. used to, right? In New York. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I'm like running off my mouth, like a real New Yorker to all these Virginians. And like, people are like, actually, it was really traumatic. I'm like, <laughs>
0: oh, great yeah, I'm kind
1: of I brought my New York jerk, you know, thing with me, obviously, you know, uh, uh so just, you gotta know yeah, your audience.
0: Yeah. You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to calm down, you know, settle in there. It's a whole different world. You don't have to be city, city Jeff anymore. You can be, you know, Southern Jeff. I don't even know what that, <laughs> I, <don't>
1: even, <laughs> I mean, even just at the DMV, I'm like, I am not in the Bronx anymore. No, I'm sure it's a little bit different for you. Like but they want way, you, I'm they sure. want you to be mean
0: at the DMV and the pro. that's like their did, love language. Did, did you know? <laughs> <laughs> do they have that as a sign, like when you walk in, you know, please maintain social distance and, and be mean? Is that like how that reads now?
1: You just you just know when you're there, like, all right, I know how this is gonna go it's and a, I can I can a, do this, you know. It's a feeling. I mean I might leave crying, but I mean I'm gonna get it done and yeah. everyone's gonna <laughs> feel like we accomplished something efficiently.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh, of uh, the joys, right? The joys of um, our local politics and regulations.
1: So. You know what, though? Humility goes a long way, man, it yeah. really does. You yes, know? It does. You, you just I mean,
0: we're saved by it, right?
1: So I'm Amen. learning that, yeah. too. Like, yeah. That's
0: well, that's good. I'm glad you're getting settled in. Um, I'm glad you're getting some of these new life adventures uh, yeah. kicked off. That's really cool. And I wish you the best of luck. Thanks. Um, as well as our listeners um, not really wanting to probably listen to our life stories, but I want to leave lots of time because we got an awesome topic. And I think it's a topic that is, um, has some, I'll say some pop culture references to it. It seems so easy today to, to hear this word thrown out in, in uh, our language. And I I don't think many people know exactly what it means or severity of it. Uh, I think we use this term rather loosely in today's world. So I'm excited to talk about that topic being narcissism. So Jeff, without further ado, can you introduce our topic and, and our guests for today?
1: Yeah. So like I mentioned last episode, um, I always check the Liberty's faculty listings for new professors that come on, you know, it's throughout stalking, the years.
0: Jeff. Stalking. Not like, checking. Come on. on. Come on.
1: Here, and right. I found Dr. Carrie Marsh, who I guess um, she told us before that she was actually in the same cohort as our last guest, Dr. Ostrander, um, or at least we're, we're together there in the PhD program. So again i just look for those those big lines in these little bios on the faculty page and when i saw like narcissism and how it impacts relationships i was like yes yes especially because this pop culture thing everyone's a narcissist you're a narcissist you've hurt me you're a narcissist you know the president that i don't like he's a narcissist just like okay we really got to relax with this thing (laughs) you know like my mom hurt me or you know she's a narcissist like whoa or or on the flip side how are we narcissistic and we don't even realize it so uh, we're really pumped to have Dr. Carrie Marsh with us today. She's a licensed professional counselor, uh, licensed in the state of Missouri, and she's an assistant professor of counseling at Liberty University Online. She is a licensed minister and has been an overseas and now a stateside-based missionary affiliated with international ministry. Excuse me. The bulk of her counseling experience Is with university students and she served for many years as a site supervisor for counseling interns her research focus and expertise is in the area of narcissism particularly as this personality style impacts relationships boom when not busy with teaching research and writing dr marsh enjoys spending time with her husband of 29 years doug and their golden doodle roxy she and her husband have two adult children john 24 and Caitlin, 21 so good morning dr marsh thanks so much for being here
0: Good morning. So good to be with you. So go ahead, Robert. I usually lead, but I think. Yeah, you can go you, all right. All right. So we'll mix it up. So, so uh, Dr. Marsh, as we just talked about, like, let's dig into this. What is narcissism? And because, you know, we hear that all the time. Oh, you're so narcissist. And, 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 I think it obviously gets misused because narcissism disorder is I think different than selfishness but can can you just tell us maybe the 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 overall basics as narcissism as descriptive rather than just diagnostic how that affects relationships what that looks like in relationships and and kind of how that is difference between maybe a personality disorder a diagnosed disorder And maybe as a trait, kind of like more over aggressive selfishness, we'll call it. Uh, Can you just kind of start to unpack what that looks like for us?
2: Yeah, Uh, it is quite a popular term these days. Uh, And when I first started studying it uh, for my dissertation research, I didn't realize kind of what a hot topic it is. And so it's kind of fun to be in the middle of of something that's sort of exploding in our culture. Um, And actually narcissism itself is on the rise um, in our culture now. So I know I hear, and I hear what you're saying, like, don't be diagnosing people, you know, like people will be like, don't call someone a narcissist or don't say someone is narcissistic because if you're not a counselor, if you're not a therapist, you know, you have no right to diagnose someone. Um, but I don't think necessarily it is a, you know, just a diagnostic term. It is kind of a descriptive term. Like, it's it kind of, it's in the dictionary, <laughs> you know? So, like, if a person is self-centered, self-absorbed, arrogant, uh, maybe inclined toward um, putting others down, for example, um, one might say that they are narcissistic. It's just it's just kind of if the shoe fits, if it's descriptive. Um, and it kind of exists on a continuum. So kind of from lower narcissism to higher narcissism. At the lower levels, there can be some healthiness to it, uh, to where the person is confident. Uh, they're able to get things done. Um, kind of a go-getter type of a person and they also manage to get along with others, treat others well uh, and it's a healthy thing. Uh, So it it reaches some sort of line where it gets unhealthy and really where that happens is kind of in the relational realm. Uh, So when they start to become exploitative of others Um, using other people for their own purposes and kind of throwing them away and also if they are entitled. So that kind of idea of, you know, I deserve preferential treatment for no particular reason, you know, just because of of who I am, uh, it starts to get unhealthy at that point. But a lot of what the, the research that's out there, so that's really a lot of where my knowledge comes from is from reading research articles, uh, is with a subclinical population of narcissism. So it wouldn't be with people diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder, but it would be people that would be higher on a scale of normal, normal narcissism, so to speak, uh, on the higher end of it, but it still can be quite damaging, especially relationally speaking.
0: Yeah, just on the second part, and and thank you for that background. Um, So you mentioned about in relationships, like, how does that kind of come out? Is it a product of the more of that extreme? I'm going to use that word selfish because it's the best thing I can use to kind of describe it. Is it that extreme selfishness that causes differences, or is it is it something that we're talking about more as a disorder that's causing those issues in the relationships, or both really?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and it's hard to to say. Um, not many people get diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. And the reason being, um, they're not usually seen in counseling to even get the diagnosis made um, because they don't tend to see it as being a problem. Um, So others in their life see it as being a problem. (laughs) Interestingly, they don't tend to suffer with a lot of negative emotions. Um, They won't tend to suffer with anxiety. They won't have depression. Um, There's a bit of controversy on whether they have a low self-esteem or not. Uh, There's kind of mixed results. The predominance of results in in research suggests that they have a high self-esteem. So kind of the idea being they wake up in the morning, they feel good, they feel great. You know, they go through their day. Um, they're impacting other people negatively, but they are fine, kind of. Uh, So, you know, even the idea of diagnosing someone with something, you know, with a DSM-5, they're generally, uh, there has to be a component where it is impacting the individual's life negatively. And for narcissistic people, they don't necessarily so if you think about you know their ability to go to school or get an education they can do that just fine you know they have confidence they can be successful a lot of times very intelligent um job wise they are fine they tend to do very well in interviews they don't suffer with things like being nervous uh they don't have a lot of difficulty with kind of promoting themselves or saying, you know, here's why I'm great and here's why you should hire me. You know, that other people might struggle with. It's easier for someone like that to to kind of self promote. And they're more likely to get hired than the next person because uh, they come across as this person is just what our organization needs to take it to the next level. Um, relationally, um, and I have to get in more into that, but they can be very successful relationally. Um, if we're talking about men, for example, which about 75% of people with narcissism are be male, but there's, there's a the female component on the higher end too, about 25%. But um, a man who's narcissistic tends to have good luck with women. Um, and <laughs> Yeah, there's an interesting man on the street study that was done about that where um, so two different guys were sent out and their, their mission was to see how many phone numbers they could collect from women on the street um, from a total stranger, you know, basically. And uh, so the, they were both were similar as far as like attractive physically and, you know, uh, one of them high in narcissism and one of them not. Uh, And you can just imagine how that turned out. Um, The narcissistic guy uh, just defeated the other guy soundly. Way more phone numbers from women. Uh, They don't have the kind of approach avoidance. Um, It's they're not afraid to go up to a woman. Talk to her be really charming, funny, engaging. They also tend to be sharp dressers. They'll have like a good hairstyle, um, usually care about their looks. And so, you know, they're good looking, well-dressed, funny, charming, intelligent, uh, engaging, confident, not afraid. Uh, So they do, so in all these areas of life, they're doing very well, therefore, you know, There's not that component of, you know, this is really getting in my way. Okay, maybe looks like a jerk from time to time. Uh, But other than that, there's no big problem. But relationally, uh, there's been quite a bit of study on this, not even just in the romantic sense, but let's say there's a group activity and uh so the narcissistic person is going to tend to sort of rise to the top as far as their they might take charge of the group provide leadership to the group and initially people like them initially people think oh they're fun they are assertive you know they're you know kind of stepping up they're cool or whatnot um But over time, that sort of degrades into, you know, they're antagonistic, they're a jerk, they're not, you know, even very good leader. Uh, So there's that component of sort of making a great first impression that then degrades with time. And this is what is seen relationally as well. So if you'd like, I can go into kind of a romantic relationship cycle um that seems to go on
1: yeah that'd be great i know that's that's part of what we're hoping to hit today i just have to say i mean dr marsh sounds like women love narcissists on the yeah. surface
0: There, like, <laughs> i was just say it sounds like a pretty picture perfect guy until you oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> yes it is it is true so they they are taken in um Yeah. Speed dating studies too. the the narcissistic guy is going to get the women saying, yes, I'd like to know this person more. And so um, you will have that impression that's made. But interestingly, women can see the negative pretty quick, too. Like it's even in like a first meeting or even in like a speed dating, you know, they can kind of see that arrogance or they can see that you know, you could be mean, but they're, they're willing to overlook it. Um, so what happens is, you know, he's kind of this suave deb- debonair guy who turns on the charm. And um, there's often a really quick start to the relationship where he sweeps her off her feet and he's very complimentary and maybe buys her gifts and uh, is just messaging her all day long and just saying, you know, I've never had such a connection with someone before. Um, And she is just like, wow, this is the stuff of romantic comedies that I've watched all my life. And it's happening with this fantastic person. Like I just, uh, someone pinched me because, you know, this is too good. And um, so she kind of gets hooked into this relationship and just like, thank you, God. Uh, and so but it's actually a warning. It's it's one of the kind of red flags as far as if the pace of the relationship is really quick uh, and there's really quick. I love you. I can totally see us together. I can imagine a future with you well, hi, you don't know me, <laughs> you know, kind of that. We don't know each other. There's not been time to really see, you know, do we have this connection that can really last over time? Uh, so what happens? So there's sort of, um, and this is among the social media, there's less um, Clear research about this cycle, but I think it's seen clinically as well as um, just out there, as far as people's stories go, that there is a cycle um, involved with these relationships. So, that first part of the cycle is called love bombing. Um, So, that's the, uh, you know, amazing um, first, amazing start where if it's a good guy. Um, it, it might be more awkward at first, you know, the first day, okay, he stumbles a little bit, but they're getting to know each other. But, you know, with the narcissistic guy, it's just so perfect. Like it's, it's the stuff of dreams, really. And uh, so then, um, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't get sustained. It never does. So it enters into the next phase, which is called devaluation. Uh, and so, that'll just be that he pulls back. So I'm saying he. Don't don't be offended. That's just kind of easier to say. Uh, maybe more common. More common in my experience with what I've seen in counseling. Uh, but he will pull back on some of the things that he initially did. Um, so he's not going to be as communicative. Maybe starts ghosting her for a few days. Um, things that he initially liked so much about her. He starts kind of um, uh, insulting her about uh, he's just not so affectionate anymore. Uh, and she is like, oh, no, what am I doing wrong? Um, what am I doing? And how can, what can I do to recapture what we had initially? Because it was so great. And so kind of what you can liken it to is sort of a behavioral conditioning, uh, kind of like the, the mouse that's in the box um, in the tests. And so like there's a lever, the mouse can push this lever and it, every time it pushes the lever, it gets a treat. Okay, so oh, push the lever, get a treat. So anytime it wants a treat, it can just go push the lever, there's the treat, gets it then it just goes about its mouse life and doesn't worry about the treat unless next time it wants one, it just goes over. But now if you give it kind of a randomness to when the treat comes out, then the mouse is obsessed. Then the mouse is like, (laughs) it's just going to sit there. And Eventually, like the treat comes out. But it just... (sighs) continues to it it has no peace it has no rest because I don't it's not there's not consistency to when I'm getting the reward Uh, and so that's what happens in these relationships so then you know there'll be kind of these negative things but she has the memory of the great start uh, and then every once in a while he's doing something really nice you know whatever it is he brings her home flowers or you know takes her on a really nice date and then it's just what happens in the brain is like a giant shot of dopamine in the brain like oh my goodness he's the best like he's the greatest person (laughs) it's kind of like that you know woman in the desert you know with no water and then finally there's a few drops that come to her tongue and she's just like oh Well, it's kind of way more dopamine than a person gets if they just go get a treat, you know, like, and the treat comes out It's like, oh, good. You know, isn't that nice? So that's kind of what a relationship is like with a normal, healthy guy. You know, hopefully he's going to be consistent. He's not going to be perfect, but he's going to be consistently kind and affectionate and, you know, interested in things. So there's just not that um, excitement, and chaos, you know, so it's sort of this ups and downs, kind of like a roller coaster where she gets that hit. And then she's like, Oh, good, everything's fine. But it's not, you know, it kind of, it goes back down again. Um, and so what it makes her do is kind of redouble her efforts to be the best girlfriend or be the best wife and get things back. And so like, the effort for the relationship is in her court, basically 90%, I don't know, I'm throwing that term out, 90% of the effort coming from her, and he'll have his little, they call it kind of breadcrumbing, you know, the little scraps from the table, you know, that she'll be like, oh, so it's awesome. So until finally, the the third stage is the discard. um, And that's where, you know, they break up or there's just kind of the, really if they're married, sort of really cut off, sort of like ships passing in the night, roommates, not, not a real relationship going on. Um, and so, and then the fourth stage, colloquially is called the Hoover. So kind of like the vacuum cleaner. So that is the person who's narcissistic will usually stay friends with uh, all his exes, kind of keep them on cue, so to speak. Set you on the shelf over here, but you're not out of my life. You're still here. Um, So I'm kind of wooing the next person or I had been even while we were together. That's why you felt the devaluation because I was love bombing this other person or, or several people. Perhaps, Um, but, you know, as that relationship's kind of cooling, I'm going to pick this one back up. Um, Make sure you're still crazy about me, you know, kind of like, hey, how are you doing? The little text message. And she just gets this shot of dopamine, like, it's him who treated me awful, but, oh, forget that right now because it's him, you know. Uh, So, and these kind of relationships can go on um, for a long time, kind of be, there's there's sort of this addictive quality to them. Even though they're not good, there's that you're hooked, like she's hooked in. Um, And he just, kind of like she's a fish on a hook, just go ahead and wiggle the hook a little bit. Okay, yeah, she's still there, good. Um, and so that feeds that whole, that feeds the whole ego thing of, you know, women like me, women love me. Um, I can call up or reach out to any number of women and they're going to respond well to me. Uh, so you can see that just the, the long-term relationship is what suffers here. Um, he's really good at plays to his strengths. Um, in a shorter term relationship, it plays to his strengths. His strengths are not in the area of intimacy. So I don't mean sexually speaking, but I mean kind of emotionally speaking, friendship type of intimacy. He's not good at that. Uh, that, And that isn't what he's looking for per se. Uh, There have been, uh, there's been interesting study about that. Um, About whether someone who's narcissistic is looking for someone who is um, warm, kind, caring, you know, has these what they call communal traits, um, relationship building kind of qualities, or whether um, he's interested in someone with uh, positive qualities. Uh, which would be kind of more superficial qualities of being beautiful, being smart, being uh, professionally successful, someone that's going to make him look good to others. Sort of that, you know, that whole image-based thing. Uh, so that's what he's looking for. So if you have, so if you have two different women, one of them is got all these positive qualities, one of them has less of the positive qualities, but is you know, wonderfully warm and kind, he's gonna choose the positive partner um, and he's gonna sacrifice the relational qualities. Um, So kind of, yeah, it could go into my research, but I don't wanna get off track from uh, what you're you're wanting to hear.
0: Thank you for that, Dr. Marsh. And, and and without going further, maybe down into a different rabbit hole, before we move on to the, some of the other questions, can you just comment real quickly um, the importance in this relationship dynamic of what I'll term as maybe a co-narcissist or a codependent person? Um, what, I, what I seem to find is they tend to attract to each other making that, a, a, I will call it a match made in heaven, even though it's completely dysfunctional. Can you talk the importance about whether that codependency maybe is something that needs to be there to make that relationship work, or if that's something that's maybe fostered as a product of that um, honeymoon, that wooing, that that personality, does that result into co- codependency? How does that play in? Because I think that's an important piece of the, the relationship puzzle here.
2: Yes. Um, Yeah, it's kind of the which came first sort of question whether the kind of codependent relationships showed up because of the dynamics that are there, uh, or whether there's something there prior. Um, And I think that there is something there prior um, in the partner of the narcissistic person. Uh, So that's kind of the, the psychology behind it. But kind of the idea being that, you know, we all have We've been impacted negatively somewhat by our parents or by our childhood experiences. And so what we unconsciously try to do is um, choose someone similar to mom or dad in some of these ways. And I'm going to have a good outcome this time. Like I'm going to replay this relationship that went poorly or the way that I was harmed or wounded. Uh, in that relationship, I'm going to choose a similar person. um, And that's going to kind of set me free from what happened with mom or dad. Uh, So that's part of the healing process for a person that's been in a relationship um, with a narcissistic person been really kind of, it doesn't work, you know, like, it's not going to... You know you're not going to have a different outcome you're not going to heal that thing from the past with mom and dad um so really with a counselor that's kind of what would need to be addressed is you know um, what was that wound you know what did you feel you know similarly in your relationship with mom or dad that you're feeling in the relationship with this person this is probably very familiar in some way and so going back to that, bringing healing to that original wound uh, kind of then can set that person free. They don't need that person, the narcissistic person to kind of be their healing. But if I could share my research um, a little bit, it's, you know, there's there's needs to be more follow up to it. But my research had to do with kind of that very question um, is is this a narcissist codependent kind of relationship? Is that who ends up together? Because that's certainly what it sounds like. And even what I described, you know, sounds that way. Um, so in the study I did, it was looking at, you know, do, does someone who's high in narcissism choose a partner who is similarly high in narcissism, or do they choose a lower narcissism partner? Basically, that idea of, you know, clearly, they'll be superior, that person will worship them, you know, and then the whole unhealthy cycle. Um, but what I found, and it has replicated the preponderance of, of research on that, it replicated that they will choose a similarly narcissistic person. Um, and so isn't that interesting? So like, who's, who are all these wounded people out there? Are they other narcissists that are wounded by their partner? Um, but in my research too, I was also looking at, okay, so who do they choose? And what is the level of satisfaction that they find in those relationships? So they'll choose another narcissistic person. Uh, and then they're more satisfied if they're more similar on that trait, they're more satisfied. So it's just, you know, maybe a little counter- counterintuitive, but maybe not, you know. So kind of how I've thought of it uh, is, you know, if neither party is really looking for emotional intimacy per se, but they're looking for this great person to kind of make them look good, you know, uh, and that's who they get, Maybe they're like really satisfied with that, and kind of like they're building a brand, you know, like I'm great, you're great. We're great together. We're awesome, you know, kind of and and there's also some evidence that there's less abuse that happens in those relationships. Um, and also the idea that that people tend people with the similar pathology or you know kind of mental health, Problems tend to assort together. And then there's the idea that they can understand one another. Like, I know why you said that. I know why you did that. I would have done the same thing. So, yeah. Uh, But in my research, I guess the area where I found the dissatisfaction was um, if the narcissistic person, um, I looked at it in, in two different traits, admiration and rivalry. So I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, admiration is kind of the more charming person that's going to wow everybody and garner social admiration for themselves. And then the rivalry side, that's the antagonistic side that I'm going to make myself feel good by making you feel bad. And so what I found was if the person was high in rivalry and the partner was low in narcissism, that's where there was dissatisfaction. With that discrepancy, so that is what you know. That bears a little more research to look at because that may be the more typical uh, narcissist codependent um, kind of dynamic. That that's where the the dissatisfaction is at. But if the person has more of the um, just. Uh, I think of the term sucking up all the oxygen in the room. If they're just like they have kind of a larger than life personality, they're the storyteller, they're the entertainer. They don't have as much of the negative rivalry side. Um, There's some hope for a positive relationship, even if the the partner is lower in narcissism, if the rivalry side is not too high. But it tends to be two sides of the same coin, like kind of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, that you'll you won't have one or the other, you'll have both, maybe to differing levels.
1: You know, it's funny because it, it almost sounds like the perfectly virtuous person is the one that you don't even notice at a party. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of scary. Yeah. Um, you know, Dr. Marsh, gosh, there's there's so much good stuff there. And I'm really glad we bought you on brought you on, excuse me, because I was worried about having a show on this topic that was just like the party line, you know, where we're just gonna we're just gonna bash narcissists and they're terrible people and they ruin relationships. And and I love how you're kind of like, whoa, let's take a step back and like let's talk about why narcissism really works <laughs> for people, why we get into relationships with folks that have narcissistic tendencies. And I love it because it seems like narcissism, you know, we're, we're specifically focusing here on relationships, but. The narcissist is also a really successful person in business, they're a successful person in academia, and, and we like we exalt folks like this and we don't even realize it. Yeah, Perhaps because they're so gifted, they're so driven. And so, and I do wanna, before we wrap up, I, I do wanna talk about your experience with couples and counseling uh, when, fast forward the tape from what you were sharing earlier and now they're 20 years into a marriage, right? And now everything's really starting to fall apart. But before we get to that, something that i don't think gets addressed a lot in the kind of cultural explosion of narcissism is the origins of it for the actual person with the narcissistic traits and tendencies like what is it that they're seeking you know is this like a a journey for self-affirmation to make up for what is lacking and they've kind of crafted this behavioral pattern where they're really just trying to make up for what they didn't get Um, And that can branch into a bunch of uh, different theories. But Dr. Marsh, can you just tell us about some theories of the origins of narcissism and where they can kind of provide some target areas for the counselor uh, who's dealing not with the person suffering from the narcissist, but maybe more the actual person with the narcissistic tendencies that's sitting across from us?
2: Yes. Yeah, that that is kind of highly debated um, in research. Um, But one of the theories is kind of what you said, you know, the idea that in early childhood there was abuse um, or neglect of the individual. Uh, So the narcissism develops as a defense mechanism against um, sort of that affront to the person. Um, And so they develop this kind of grandiose image of themselves to protect against that So they may be the kid who becomes the bully, you know, that idea that, you know, I'm going to protect this fragile kind of self-esteem or self-image that I have. You are not going to get to me. And, you know, that just makes me even think, you know, and speculate about the idea of intimacy and how they don't look for emotional intimacy. Maybe it's related to that whole sort of self protectiveness. Like, I don't want you getting close to me. I don't want you to touch that kind of inner core that's fragile. Um, and so if they can be the dominant one, uh, if they can be the one even putting others down, then they're protected from getting hurt. Uh, so that is that is one theory about it. Uh, there is another theory that that is, Kind of also parenting related It's the idea of being the more permissive parent kind of the self-esteem self-esteem movement parent that you know every kid gets a trophy <laughs> no one you know no one wins no one loses uh kind of where the parent teaches the child you are great you are the center of the universe uh for no particular reason you know it's it's there's not merit involved you just are you know because every person is born with narcissism you know in a sense you know that's part of our being a child um you know you're vulnerable you have to have your needs met or you are in serious trouble so you're very highly self-centered um as a child and then you know as you grow and your parents teach you and you know teachers and just society to kind of be more others centered look johnny's crying you pushed him down you know tell him you're sorry you know kind of being taught that or learning that Um, but there's kind of there's less of that going on Um, it used to be like if a child was in trouble at school they would get in trouble at home now if the child's in trouble at school the teacher's also in trouble because mom or dad is going to tell the teacher off because my little perfect angel didn't do anything you know so that's kind of the other um idea is kind of an overly coddled you know giving the child um an unrealistic perception of themselves Um, and i would add a third to a third thing to that is some of these it it is a bit inborn um, because Personality uh, tends to be quite stable through the lifespan. Uh, and if you look at the big five, where narcissism, like the typical grandiose narcissism, would show up is high extroversion and low agreeableness. Um, those are the two that are significant um, that they find. So children can be born with <laughs> higher, you know, tendency toward a. Um, extroversion and, you know, lower agreeableness or, you know, children are born with, you know, different sorts of personalities uh, that tend to be rather lasting over time. Like for if I meet you guys 20 years from now, we're going to be quite similar personality wise um, as, as we are now. Uh, we don't change drastically in that way. And so that that kind of s- so the idea that it's somewhat inborn, hopefully with parenting, the Holy Spirit, <laughs> et cetera, um, that can be channeled in a positive way and not end up being pathological. uh forget where I was going with that, but uh <laughs> oh, OK, so treatment. That was that was the question. But. Uh, So the problem with treatment um, is the person has to, first of all, want to be treated. They have to realize that there's a problem and they need to do something about it. Um, So that is what is really rare for the narcissistic person. So you, because of the reasons that I shared earlier, a lot of things are going well. Um, where you will see them, where counselors will see them uh, is probably in couples counseling uh, because of the relational problems. Um, I wish I had a ton of answers there. I worked mostly with university students. So I worked um, personally, you know, with more individual on an individual basis with someone who was in a relationship with a narcissistic person or had had a breakup and were struggling to get over it um, and even a long time after the breakups st- still being mired in in that relationship so the problem being okay so personality disorders are typically very hard to treat because they are personality based and personality not changing very drastically And so those tending to be pervasive and chronic. So that pervasive meaning, you know, kind of bleeds into most areas of life, chronic, it tends to continue throughout the lifespan. Um, And so there's not a lot of literature out there. There is some within the psychoanalytic literature toward trying to treat narcissism. There is, if you're familiar with Cora, a social media site, there is a psychologist who posts on there who treats narcissistic people and has some degree of success very slowly over a period of time, but they're also very inclined to drop out of treatment because what's this person trying to do? You know, like they're incompetent further. I could do their job better than them. And, you know, this is stupid, pointless, you know, um, they're likely not to continue with therapy. Um, What can happen in couples counseling is the narcissistic person can win over the counselor. Because of their great initial people skills, the partner's often broken down from years of abuse and harm. And they can have Anxiety, they can have depression, they can have, you know, a, a lot of mental health problems. The partner, and so who looks like the more healthy person is the narcissist who feels fine, and the other person, I don't know what their problem is, but they're pretty tough on me, believe you me, you know, kind of. Um, so I think it's just important for counselors to be able to recognize, at, you know, at least have an awareness. Um, of this pattern to be able to recognize it when they see it, either in the form of a couple um, or someone describing a relationship so that that person knows that the counselor gets it um, and understands.
0: Yeah, Dr. Marsh, thank you for all that. Um, That was actually really great. And it sounds like that there's still some more work to be uh, to be had here. Some research to be uh, uncovered. Sounds like there's still some some unknowns related to narcissism, and and that probably is expected, knowing the way that we throw those words out. Uh, we don't know it, and it sounds like the the industry doesn't quite know it yet. And and it sounds like it's not just a. A situation that's affecting individuals but obviously as you mentioned relationships and something as counselors we need to pay attention and and be aware of on both sides whether we're treating an individual or the the wounded partner or somebody that has been affected by the narcissist i think that's an important thing to understand those dynamics as well so thank you for sharing all that that was that was great information and um yeah, we'd love to have you on maybe again in the future to tie, tie in some more research or, or some some advancements in this topic. Because I think we're going to see this uh, continue to, to grow and learn more about uh, narcissism and what causes it.
2: Yes. And actually, there's going to be some research actually starting on Liberty's campus. Relationship-related research, and it's going to have a component of narcissism, not being the only one, um, but hoping to start some longitudinal studies um, about it uh, to understand it more. So, really excited about that.
0: That's great. Are you part of that, or is it some some other individuals?
2: Yes, I am. I'm part of that. Oh, good.
0: Good. Okay. That's awesome. We'd love to, to hear more about that as you kind of develop those results and conclusions. And and uh, I, I'm personally fascinated by the topic. I think it's a it's a topic that I know dealing with capitals comes up uh, quite a bit. And um, I think it's something that will continue to come up for the various region, reasons, the origins that you mentioned. I think we're fostering a culture of narcissism, unfortunately. Um, So I think as counselors, we're going to have to be aware of it and deal with it and and, and recognize it. So thank you for bringing that up because it's a topic we haven't ventured into. And I know it was very informative for me to kind of hear what you had on it.
2: Okay, great. Yes, I'm so happy to share. And I would really love to, to come on again.
0: Yeah, it'd be great. Jeff, thank you. For hanging in there. I would was not going to describe our relationship as any type of narcissism or codependency <laughs> um, because I think we have a healthy relationship. So thank Definitely. you for being a healthy uh, co-host for me. Hey,
1: hey, you know what? I just realized this episode will drop St. Valentine's Day, like maybe by
0: a day or two. Oh, ago. that's kind so of ironic. The timing is yeah, really yeah, yeah, eerily yeah. providential. That's probably a narcissist's favorite holiday, isn't it? I mean, they get a chance oh, to shine oh. on on February 14th. And hey, I just I just want to say, because I think, Robert, you just knocked it out of the park. It's
1: like a perfect synthesis. And if we had like three hours, which I think we should have made this episode, um, the culture, I think on both ends, sets itself mm-hmm. up for this explosion of narcissism. One, because of issues in the family, right? But also on the flip side, there is there are so many avenues for the person prone to narcissism to just... Feed it. Yeah. Do it. I mean, yeah. social media, for example, I was having a conversation with my cousin about Instagram. She's a counselor too. And I have this little counselor, Instagram account, which is a joke. And uh I posted something. She asked me about it. And I'm like, you know what? Sometimes I'm just frightened that this is just an avenue for whatever lingering narcissistic issues I have. And she's like, it's a hundred percent narcissism. That's what Instagram <laughs> is. And it's like, it's it just our culture. Like mm-hmm. narcissists, come on by, you know, we got everything for you here. Mm-hmm. It's so mm-hmm. really frightening.
2: The influencers, yeah, I think there's pretty high narcissism there. Um, yeah, professional athletes, um, actors, yeah. actresses, yeah. Can so we, a lot of people that are, are politicians,
0: right? Yeah, we, we put them up be as, as on a pedestal. We put them up as our role models, and, and that's who we look up to. So, yeah, we we are not helping the cause by any means. So, right. Well, again, thank you, Dr. Marsh. Thank you for for investing in us, coming on, and and, uh, in the interesting topic. Jeff, thank you for uh, your co-host duties, as always. I appreciate all the the help and everything that you do. I want to thank our listeners for hanging in there with us. Uh, We greatly appreciate you guys, and God bless.